Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this rainy day at camp meeting. Thank you that we can be inside today and that we can have the opportunity to study these important themes. And Lord, now as we specifically look at the services and structures of our local church, help us to recognize that we're in the service of a great and powerful God. That you want everything to be done well and decently and in order and to be intensely interesting and highly attractive. Lord, help us to represent you well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could have our couple of two or three volunteers come up, please. Um, I, I don't have to. I'll pick on you. You're younger. He needs to sit down. That's okay. <laughs> this one over here. No, he helped last time. I'm saying it's a, d- a division of duty. That's all. It's not because of the age thing. Um, could you be a helper too, please? Thank you. Let's make sure everyone gets one of these. Our title today is Disturbing Our Monotony. It's a rather ominous sounding title, but it comes directly from the spirit of prophecy. Okay, Those are the words used by Mrs. White herself. But we'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, let's make sure we know what the words even mean. Obviously, I think we know what disturbing means. It's to unsettle, to disrupt, to break up. Okay? But what is monotony? Does someone want, oh, you've already got the sheet in your hand, you've got the definition, but what would you say monotony is? Boring, boring. all right? You know, I think monotony might only have boring, stale, dry, that kind of thing. Listen to what the dictionary says and some of the synonyms. This is one of the most fun parts about this presentation, is just defining the word monotony. The Oxford Dictionary defines monotony as lack of variety and interest, tedious repetition and routine. Synonyms for monotony include, quote, tedium, tediousness, lack of variety, dullness, boredom, lack of variation, repetitiveness, repetitiousness, repetition, sameness, unchangingness, uniformity, routine, wearisomeness, tiresomeness, humdrumness. Can't believe that's a word. Lack of interest, lack of excitement, prosaicness. That's a high SAT point word there. (laughs) Uneventfulness, dreariness, colorlessness, featurelessness. Does this sound like any of the services or meetings at your local church? Don't answer that, that's rhetorical. It's for personal reflection. But I'll answer for myself. I have been through a lot of meetings and services, programs at local churches that fit the textbook definition of monotony. Now that's not to say that they were there, that it was a waste of time to be there or anything like that. But the point was what should have been vibrant and alive was dull, tedious, and boring. So what makes the difference? Today that's what we're going to look at. And how can we be responsible to address this? It doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. Let's take a look at some inspired counsel. This is from Gospel Workers, page 204. The prevailing monotony, prevailing means that it's winning, it's across the board, it's growing, right? Monotony of the religious round of service in our churches needs to be disturbed. And if you would just take that sentence, you would... It already implies that it needs to be disturbed by whom? Us. That we have a job to actively break up this dead soil, right? 
And here's how to do it. And we're going to break this statement down and do it subparts here in just a minute. But the leaven of activity needs to be introduced so that our church, that our church members may work along new lines and devise new methods. The Holy Spirit's power will move upon hearts when this dead, lifeless monotony is broken up and many will begin to work in earnest who never before thought of being anything but idle spectators. Now, I like to take a little comfort in that because, it's, I mean, it sounds really, really awful, but notice that why people aren't, why are they being idle spectators? Now, I don't know, look, look again at the statement. It's not because things are monotonous, I mean, even though that might be the leading reason why, but, but look at, the point of this sentence that I'm looking at here, okay, the Holy Spirit's power will move upon hearts, that's true, but look at this, they never before thought of being anything. It never even crossed their minds. The concept has never even been introduced. They didn't know there was another option. That's right, they never been asked, they never even considered that church might ever be different. That's the way they were raised. That's what we've always done. We just go through it. And so the people are idle spectators, not because they're inherently against working for Jesus. I will not. <laughs> I'm guessing there's a lot of people who don't even know there's another option. They've never been presented with the idea that things could be better. They don't even know what's bad. They just think this is what it is. And I love that, 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 that it, to me there's a lot of hope in there. That it's the power to move this by just simply bringing these issues to light and talking about it and presenting an, op an alternative, right? Okay. Again, many will begin to work in earnest who never before thought of being anything but idle spectators. A working church on earth is connected with the working church above. God works, angels work, and men should work for the conversion of souls. Efforts should be made to do something while the day lasts. And the grace of God will be revealed that souls may be saved to Christ. Everywhere, souls are perishing in their sins, and God is saying to every believing soul, hasten to their help with the message that I shall give you. Now, like I said, we're going to break this statement down, but when I read that, I mean, it's, it's so striking to me, the prevailing monotony needs to be disturbed. That we should agitate against the dullness and tedium of much of what goes on in our local churches. Fascinating. So anyway, what is the recommendation? First of all, the leaven of activity. We need to think of our local church as a hub for missionary training and activity. Mrs. White makes that statement, you've probably heard it referred to several times in our manual course, that every church should be a training school for Christian workers. That church should be school. Okay? When I go to School, I expect to do what? To learn. And hopefully not just theoretical stuff, but practical stuff. It's not just going to be ancient history, but it's also going to be home mech, and it's going to be auto maintenance, and only, I mean, all the things that we wish our schools had these days. But when you go, you want practical instruction so that you leave knowing stuff, able to do stuff. The knowing is for the purpose of doing. That's why you go to school, Right? Hopefully, I mean, I don't know, I've seen some people waste a lot of money going to school, getting a degree that has no practical application after they're done. And they're like, I just spent $100,000 and I got a degree that gets me, you know, $15,000 a year and I got to pay, uh, good luck. <laughs> right? 
but we should go to school with the idea that I'm learning something for the purpose of doing something. Now, let's think about church. If every church should be a training school, why do we go to church? A lot of times we go to church just that that's the thing we do. And we go through the, why do we have the scripture review? Why do we have, the, why do we have this part here? Why do we have to start at this time? I don't, it's just, I've never even asked, I've even thought to ask the question. Just because what we, I mean, let's think about it from a non-adverse perspective. Why do people go to church on Sunday? Is it because they're convicted that the Bible says the, sub, the first day is the Sabbath of the Lord? No. Yeah, it's just what you do. Do you know how many people come to our presentations of evangelistic truth, you know, and they'll hear about the Sabbath? And it, it never dawned on them. It just never even presented. It was just what you do, right? That's not to say that they're wrong, but they're, but they're awakened to new ideas and it breaks up their religion. Oh, did you know that the Sabbath was... We should look at church through the fresh eyes of what are we even going here for, right? And start to reconsider and reevaluate. And that does not to say throw everything out. We'll come to that later. But why are we having a scripture reading? Why are we having prayer? Why are we doing the things that we do? Okay? And the leaven of activity apparently is one of those solutions to this doldrum. Accordingly, our church services should become... <laughs> Please fix that typo. As it reads, it says, accordingly, our church services would become more routine ceremonies. <laughs> no. It needs to say more than routine ceremonies. Mercy. We're not putting this one up on the website. You guys get the one and only endangered species copies of this. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, that's terrible. All right. So what, would ch- what are some examples of leaven of activity that our church services come into? Let, let, let's read some more counsel here. This is from 7T. That is uh, uh, Testimonies of Church, Volume 7, page 19. Let church members during the week act their part faithfully and on the Sabbath relate their experience. That's a novel idea. What if during the week we all had assignments and we came back on the Sabbath to report how the Lord had blessed? Wouldn't that be nifty? Amen. The meeting will then be as meat in due season, bringing to all present new, all present new life and fresh vigor. When God's people see the great need of working as Christ worked for the conversion of sinners, the testimonies borne by them in the Sabbath service will be filled with power. With joy, they will tell of the precious experience they have gained in working for others. So what is the first remedy that Mrs. White gives for disturbing our monotony? The leaven of activity. Get active and start stirring up love and good works, right? And soul winning stuff. Now, I don't have the statements in here, and we do always, and Mark alluded to this a, a day or so ago, that there's always this tension between, you know, we have the pulpit and we have the preaching time, and we have pastors who are gifted with that, and elders, and, and we should have good preaching. But at the same time, Mrs. White gives counsel that we should not expect a sermon every Sabbath. So, And as you've heard me allude to, I have a fear that we are becoming rather Catholic in our religious experience. And that is that we see the pastor as a priest and that we see the sermon as the sacrament. That's why we don't come to prayer meeting. That's why we don't come to Sabbath school. That's why we don't listen to the mission stories, all the, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. But if, but if I'm going to, I got to be there to hear that sermon. Just like the wafer on the tongue is the sermon on the ear, right? 
If I heard it, then I had church. And then you say statements like, you know, we shouldn't expect a sermon every Sabbath. And then people say, well, what on earth is church for? I mean, literally, we have pastors around the Michigan Conference now who, like, if, you know, if something, something happens in their schedule, oh, help, 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 we need somebody to come up here and preach, and I'll drive. I've driven, you know, like three hours one way just to give a sermon so the church could go on. But what would you do if it weren't for a sermon? Can you imagine having a rich Sabbath school program where you gave missionary reports and you had uh, testimonies born and given and then small group Bible study and then you worship together in song and praise and then when you got to the main service you had maybe say more testimony reports maybe more instruction for outreach maybe a Bible study but, it, but you went through the whole service and you realized hey we didn't even have a sermon and it was fine in fact it was fresh now that's not to say like we're done with that pastor get on out of here with your preaching Ugh. Of course not. There's a special place for preaching. There's a need for good, solid training and teaching and instruction in the Word of God and doctrinal clarity. We need all of that stuff. But we shouldn't come to depend on that's the only thing that church is, is waiting to feed off of that part of the service. That there should be rich activity and vibrant life through all the members. And as we come into the Sabbath day, we start reporting on those things and talking about them and sharing what's happening it stirs up love and good works. Okay? This is why he talks about that. Let's keep going. Another statement along the same lines. In many of our churches, this is also from 7T, I, that section there uh, uh, from Testimonies Volume 7 is fascinating about this. Just so you know, there's other statements that I could have chosen, but just picked a couple here. In many of our churches in the cities, the minister preaches Sabbath after Sabbath, and Sabbath after Sabbath, the church members come to the house of God with no words to tell of blessings received because of blessings imparted. Let me share a text from you, with you uh, from the Bible, of course. That's the only place we can get texts. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. The Apostle Paul... I don't want to just say who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews. He wrote the book of Hebrews, and I know so because the Spirit of Prophecy tells us. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Here, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Hebrews, is giving... Of course, you know the book of Hebrews is all about the high priestly ministry of Jesus and the heavenly sanctuary, and it's a lot of rich, deep theology, and he compares his work to that of the angels, and he talks about the nature of Christ, how he had to be made like his brethren, and how we have a merciful high priest. I mean, it's a wonderful book, and here he's going deep into the parallels between Christ and the ministry of Melchizedek, and how his priesthood was a, is a type of Christ. It's fascinating, but watch what happens. Let's just start with verse 9, and watch the transition in his writing, in his presentation here. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. So this is deep doctrinal stuff here. But it's hard to explain, not because it's so deep, but because you're so dull. <laughs> Look, since you have become dull of hearing. Now that's kind of a cold, mean thing to say on the server, Right? I'd love to tell you some deep things about this and go into prophecy and go into this and that, but you can't hear anymore. Just like, you know, 
throwing seed at a rock, bounce, bounce, bounce. This is nothing happening. And he doesn't just say, anyway, on to the next topic. He dives into this a little bit more. Keep reading. How do they become dull? For though by this time, now just pause right here. When he says by this time, that implies they've been in the message. They've been part of the body of Christ for some reasonable amount of time now. These, he's not talking to new believers. It's written to the Hebrews, right? These are lifelong churchy people, right? They should know this stuff, right? By this time, you ought to be what? Teachers. For though by this time you ought, to be need, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. He's like, I could, teach, I could tell you all this stuff again. Number one, you're not going to get the deep stuff and you're just going to have to hear the same stuff over and over and over and over and over enough. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Apparently the people are hearing the same message over and they can't really go deeper and there's something blocking their depth and they're just staying on the superficial. The, and that's not to say that the basic elements are unimportant, but there's, there's, deeper, there's a deeper end of the pool, you know? He's like, I want to take off the floaties. I want to go off the high dive, right? And, but I have to stay over here in the shallow end because you guys can't handle this. And what is the reason they've become dull of hearing? Why can't they go deeper? Keeps going. But Saul, uh, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And here's what he means by that. A mature Christian. That is, those who by reason of, what's that word? Use. Use have exercised their senses. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By reason of use. Apparently, He'd been preaching, presenting, and writing, or whatever, and giving and giving and giving, but the reason they couldn't go any deeper is because they hadn't been putting to use the things they'd already been given. Now let's take that to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Is it possible that we've heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon on the Sabbath and the state of the dead and the second coming of Jesus and the heavenly sanctuary and blah, 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 but the reason we can't go any deeper, we always stay right here, is because we never give it to anybody else. And we've developed a consumer mentality that I come to church to go through this round of ceremony and to get something out of the sermon. I don't believe I shared this illustration with you, and if I did, maybe the Lord wants you to hear it again. <laughs> but, you know, if you, um, if you were uh, on a Friday afternoon at the, at the supermarket and you ran into one of your really good friends who happened to be of another nomination. They are a fire-breathing, Turner-burned Southern Baptist, right? Um, but uh, you're close in other areas, but you agree to disagree on some stuff, right? And uh, he comes up to you and says, look, our, our, our uh, Sunday school teacher's out of town, and we're actually doing a study on some pretty scary stuff. I mean, we're talking about hell. And, uh, you know, I thought it'd be interesting. Maybe you could come over this Sunday and why don't you, I know that you have a different understanding of the scripture on this. Could you share with us what you believe the Bible says about hell to our Baptist church this Sunday? First reaction, praise the Lord. What's your second reaction? Oh, oh snap. All right. Things just got real. All right. Okay. Now, but you say yes with your knees knocking. You're going to trust in the Lord. It's going to be okay. This is my opportunity. You go three aisles down and who do you run into? Your own pastor. You say, Pastor, you never believe it. I got this awesome opportunity. And you share with him what just happened. 
And he said, that's not a coincidence, friend. That's a divine appointment. Let me tell you why. Tomorrow's message is called the good news about hell. <laughs> Let me ask you, how would you listen to that sermon differently? <laughs> First of all, would you be late? <laughs> nope. Where would you sit? Right up front. By the way, I think one of the reasons people sit in the back is they have no expectation to put to use anything they're hearing up front. They're just watching from a distance. But if you had to share that thing, you'd be down front. Would you bring your Bible? Absolutely. You wouldn't trust that pew Bible? What if it's not there? What if the page is torn out? What if somebody, uh-uh-uh, i got to bring my own. Plus, i got to put notes in that thing. Right? i got to use this. Now it's a tool. Right? It's not decor. It's equipment. So I'm coming to church now. Will you talk during the service to other people? No. Will you have your cell phone on doing other things? No. No. You'll be riveted. Is it because he's such a good preacher? You could care less. If he's interesting, if he's funny, if he's personable, if he's dynamic, he could be dull as dry paint. But you're not there for him. You're here for what he's got in that word. You're there for the content, right? Now, how would you take notes differently? By the way, we all say take notes. We never teach people how to take notes. And I'm, I'm not saying there's a formulaic way. We're not going through it now. But I mean, would you write down even the title of a sermon? That's catchy. Good news about hell. Cool. Uh, how did he open the sermon? Was it with an illustration? Was it with a startling statistic? Was it a powerful text? What was the thing? Like, what was his flow of thought? This led to this, therefore this, right? You don't want to just have a random assemblages of text, some sideways and crooked. You want to have this, took me to this, and you're looking for that flow of thought. You, that guy better have put some thought into that sermon because you're going to take those thoughts and tear it with someone else, right? Because you have an appointment on the other side of this. And if he lays an egg up there and just does some personality funny stuff, everybody else might like it, but you're going to be mad. Well, I didn't come here for your personality. I came for the content, <laughs> right? You're going to listen to sermons in a whole new way. Because there's an expectation you're going to, by the way, after the sermon, you're going to clarify anything that you might not have heard correctly, you're going to talk to them afterward. Then you're going to practice it with someone else, then you're going to put it in your own words, and you're, going to, you're going to own that sermon, it's going to come through your DNA, right? Because tomorrow you've got to preach it. I think many people come to church with no expectation of any personal accountability to do something with what they've heard. And Paul says, look, I could go deeper with you, but you're not sharing what you've already got. I've got three kids. Every time there's a healthy thing on the plate, they'll eat some of it, and they're like, can I have chips? Can I have... You want more, but you're not doing what you, what you already got. You can't have the other stuff until you finish this thing, right? Paul's like, you've got to put to use the thing you've already got before we can go deeper. Anyway, that's an illustration of that, right? What if the church service were seen as a school where you were coming to get training, to get resources, to get equipped, to go out and do ministry, and then you come back and report those things, and every member had that same mentality, that church would be really different than most churches you go to today. Okay? So there's some individual onus to helping make it interesting, right? But let's go to number two. Intensely interesting. Oh, no, oh, uh, yeah. What in your Sabbath school and worship service each week is done merely for the sake of occupying the time? and could be made more intensely interesting. You see those are in quotes there because those are exact phrases lifted from the following statement. This is from Christian Service, page 211. 
Our meetings should be made, what's the phrase? Intensely. Please note it did not say highly entertaining. It said intensely interesting. There's a difference. They should be pervaded with the very atmosphere of heaven. Let there be no long, dry speeches and formal prayers merely for the sake of occupying the time. All should be ready to act their part with promptness, and when their duty is done, the meeting should be closed. All done. Dismissed. No, that, I mean, that not now. <laughs> Thus, the interest will be kept up to the last. So she gives an outline, she gives some very practical hints, and we're going to break each one of them down here, about how our services can be more interesting and less dull, lifeless, and monotonous, right? This is offering to God acceptable worship, which apparently there is unacceptable worship somehow. Let's keep reading here. Let's break down this statement into its parts here. Let there be no long, dry speeches. Mercy. What are some ways... <laughs> And again, just think back in your own local church or churches you've seen or grew up in or something like that. Have you ever noticed that there is a tendency towards long, dry speeches? Yes. In most churches, that's a thing. And it's not just sermons I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the other participants and all the other elements kind of drone on and on. And you certainly think like, all right, I get it. Move on, move on, move on. But they just keep going. Why is that? So here's some practical ways I would recommend to help avoid those long, dry speeches. Number one, limit announcements during the worship service. Now, <laughs> some of you are going to say, all right, there's my testimony right there, because you know other churches, like, we don't have announcements. We barely have other ones have had that whole train, that cavalcade of announcements, you know. I used to dread it when I'd sit in the pew and I'd see one person come up front and they'd whisper in the pastor, I just need to make an announcement real quick. And another person, you know, I just want to talk about this real quick. And all of a sudden you've got to line up on the front pew and it's like, next, next. 20 minutes later, we're, we're listening to people read the bulletin to us. It's already written down. Why are we doing this? I think it's merely to occupy the time and to present something and make it sound. But it's already been written down. Move on. Okay? Limit announcements. Your sure. Utilize the church bulletin, the church newsletter, your email, your bulletin boards, etc. as the primary means of communication. Anticipate and expect people to use those things. Refer them to that. Now, if you have a special announcement or something to highlight, you can pull out one or two that are relevant and pertinent, but don't say three weeks from now. Don't, don't get up here with your three weeks from now. And say, today we're going to be leaving, the, or next Sabbath, become ready for this, right? But choose a few, very few, and highlight those, right? Avoid having a train of announcements each week by having a single person highlight only key announcements from the pulpit. Um, we had this in our uh, Muskegon church. We had a wonderful elder by the name of Norm Grove. He had a great radio voice. And we made a new rule. It's like, he's the one who makes announcements. Nobody else makes announcements. But what if I want to talk about, tell it to Norm, he'll say it. But we don't, because every time, and we'll get into this next, but even the littlest things like transitioning from one person at the pulpit to the next person at the pulpit takes a little time. And you do that five times just during the announcement, my goodness, what are we doing? Um, platform participants limit extemporaneous or even scripted comments. Let me explain this. Number one, each element of the program does not need a greeting or a, a preamble. Now, I take a little bit of heat for this one, and I'll temper it. 
we have a thing in the worship called welcome. What is that supposed to do? Welcome people. But each time you get up, you shouldn't have to say, good morning, everyone, happy Sabbath, we're glad. Every single person does stop. Now, I know a pushback, there's nothing wrong with getting them saying, happy Sabbath, saints. It, I'm not saying that every greeting should be eliminated, but when it becomes a train over and over and over, there's a reason we have a special thing called welcome. It's to welcome the people then, okay? How about this one? Uh, on the preamble part, um, whether it's a special music, and again, sometimes you can say a few words about why this is important to you, but it, or, or the prayer time, or the scripture reading, or whatever, you have some people get up and think that this is my time carved out of the service to just address the people. No, it's not. It's your job to read the scripture. That's what we expect you to do today. Don't say, you know, when I was a child, we used to and just start into a little miniature sermon. Don't do that. Do your job with promptness and then be done. Very simple. So, for instance, when it's time to do the scripture reading, what I like to do is not walk up and say, happy Sabbath, saints, isn't a great day? The weather is nice outside, amen? That's great. And just don't do that. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. There's a pew Bible in front of you. would like to take that out. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 5. Give every time to find it. Then read it clearly. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. And sit down. That's it. Move it along. Okay? They're not there for you. They're there for the thing you're supposed to do. I don't know. Yeah, I've had that discussion. I'll be very frank with you. I included it in this seminar because I have pushback from someone who said, no, no, we need that. It's a good thing. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. It's, it's a good sentiment to say, but if you have another phrase, or if you have another thing to say, or you don't have anything to say, or maybe just say, amen, move on, right? The point is that all those preamble and intro and outro commentary, they kind of swell sometimes, you know? And it just adds to the girth of the service. And you're moving on. All right, let's keep going. Um, if you must read the pre-written offering call, for example, or the scripture reading or something that's scripted, practice beforehand. Don't get up and mumble, stumble through that thing. Okay? And, and see it so often. You know, people will not stand close to the microphone, which is another thing, uh, and, and they'll just... They just start reading this script that they haven't practiced. They have mispronunciations or they, they don't emphasize. They don't have the spirit of it right. They, it's like they get to the end and they're surprised. Like, oh, it's done. Um, okay. Deacons, can you please? Right. Make it personable. Read it beforehand. Summarize it in your own words if possible, right? But make it as personable as possible and not so formal, just a dry speech, getting through the thing, right? So even the pre-written stuff, practice it beforehand so there's some life in it. Uh, let's move on to this one. See, let there be no formal prayers. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus himself talked about the formality of prayer and how bad that was. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. 
Verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Clearly, his emphasis primarily is on personal prayer, right? Don't just make it a public thing. But And it says, and when you pray, the content, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Thinking you'll be heard for your many words. Like a prayer is inherently better if it's more verbose and wordier. And It's like, don't start thinking that. Okay? And especially when you get up front. Mrs. White has, has counsel on this when it comes to prayers in the church. Prayers, especially in public, should be simple and sincere. We should not ramble on to fill time nor use ostentatious language to sound formal or, quote, churchy. Listen to this. Review and Herald, May 30, 1871. When Christ taught the people, he did not devote the time to prayer. That sounds almost crazy, doesn't it? Read that sentence again. When he taught the people, he did not devote the... Does that mean that Christ was somehow against prayer or belittling prayer? Of course not. But when he had the people all assembled, he didn't take the majority of the time in long, ornate prayers. He did not enforce upon them, as did the Pharisees, long, tedious ceremonies and lengthy prayers. So when Christ did the Sermon on the Mount, it's not like he had 45 minutes of preliminaries leading up to it, right? He got to the point. And I'm certain that he prayed, but it wasn't for the purpose of, you know, filling the time and making it an official... No, it was simple, it was sincere, sincere, and then he got into the message he wanted to present. I think that might have been one of the reasons people heard him so gladly. Man, we got to it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. What a great thing. By the way, the Bible tells us exactly why they listened so gladly. It's because he taught with one having authority, right? Not only did he get right to the point, but when he made his point, he meant his point. When he said something, he wasn't like, you know, I've read and I've heard different comments. We preach like that sometimes, too. I'm not going to get on this soapbox right now except for just a foot up on it. But... We'll take a text and we want to show off our, you know, intellectual chops or academic, you know, whatever. And we're like, did you know that in the Greek it says this? And we'll add this and this. And, and people are like, whoa. And, and, and this one person said this. And I read from this commentary it said this. And people leaving like, wow, that's a whole smorgasbord. Of, I don't know what he said. I don't know the point. But apparently he really studied it out, right? This is what the scribes and Pharisees would do. They would stand up and say like, this teacher has said this, but we have that. But in this context, and, uh, but at the same time, you've got to keep in mind that this, but don't go too far... You'd be like, huh? And Jesus would say, look, you've heard it said, but I say. Right? It says don't kill people. Let me tell you, it goes even deeper than that. Don't even want to kill people. This is my paraphrase, right? (laughs) Don't hate them. It's just as bad in the heart. Same thing with adultery. Looking is the same as doing, so don't do it. And people are like, whoa, so you're saying just don't kill at all? It's like, yep, totally. Now, is that from the original? <laughs> it's like, look, I am the original language, right? I'm telling you, you're talking to the author. It's right. Now go do. If you notice also, Jesus always focused his teaching on the practical application. When, and the guy came up to him and tried to test him, right? You know, and this happened the one time. Over and over it happened, right? But Jesus would turn around. What does the law say? And, well, then go and do it. 
And then when you said, well, who is my neighbor? You know, she's like, you know who your neighbor is. Somehow you came up with the answer straight from Scripture, but you can't figure out who you're... By the way, the Bible says, he, wanting to justify himself, asked, and who is my neighbor? Is it possible that we act confused just because we don't want to apply what we heard? You know, Jesus ran into this a lot. You know, the whole, uh, who is my neighbor guy? <laughs> you think he couldn't figure out who his neighbor was? So what did Jesus, I love how Jesus answered it. He gave him the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And he walked through it, and at the end of the story, he says, now, which of these? <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's written in such a way, you can imagine him do a children's story, right? There was this one guy, he was bad. And this other guy, he was super bad. And then the last one was really nice. Now you tell me. <laughs> who was neighbor? And the guy was cornered, right? He's like, the one who was nice, right? He's like, now. And then he came back to it. Go and do likewise. Nicodemus. Are you saying we had to be smaller and go back in time into... He's like, you... And she said, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? And then he said, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It's not that you don't get it, it's you don't want to do it. You'll see this in evangelism. People will totally understand the 2300 days and Daniel chapter 9 and the mark of the beast and blah, blah, blah. But when the Sabbath comes around, they're like, I don't understand. The reason you have a trouble with these teachings isn't because they're unclear, it's because they are clear. I told that was a soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when Jesus spoke, this goes back, he, he, he stripped out all of the extemporaneous, all of the extras, and he just got right to the heart of the issue and spoke to the people directly. And they appreciated it. It was like, you know, fresh, cold air coming down off the mountain. It was wonderful. Okay? Let there be no formal prayers. Again, Christ taught the people. He did not, when Christ taught the people, he did not devote the time to prayer. Let's think about our worship services. We should consider how this council applies to our time for prayer requests, gardens of prayer, and the like in the worship service. Now, I have to be very careful here. There absolutely should be prayer in our worship services. And there's a time for the congregational prayer, the prayer for the offering. It makes sense that we have multiple prayers for different functions. But what I have noticed is that we'll sometimes now open the floor to requests and praises pass around a roving microphone, or invite people to come down front. And we have this big prayer section, almost as though we don't have an entire meeting each week devoted to prayer. Prayer meeting. It's even got a catchy title. Prayer meeting. But what do we know about prayer meeting? Nobody shows up. So what are we doing in a worship service? We're putting prayer meeting in it. That's right. What's interesting to me is we keep taking all the functions of both prayer meeting and Sabbath school and everything else, testimonies, baptism, special features, prayer times, you name it, and we put it all in the worship service because that's the only thing people will show up to. All announcements. And we don't even put it at 11 o'clock. We want it the latest in the service we can because that's when you get the high, that's the apex of attendance. 11.35, 11.40, right around that juicy sweet spot. That's the early people are still there and the late people have finally showed up. That's your Venn diagram of attendance. That's the high point. Okay? But we shouldn't do that. I love this one. All should be ready to act their part with, what's the word? Promptness. Give me some synonyms. Promptness. Just off the top of your head. 
Swift. Anybody else? Punctual. That's good. What else? Ready. Okay, ready to act their part with promptness. So you can be ready, but still not prompt. On time, prepared, quick, right? Get to it. You look at this particular statement, oh, they should be ready, they should be prompt, and when it's done, they should be done. Ellen White, I would love to have met her. I think she might have been a little twitchy. I like that. You know, she was like, come on, move it. I would love to, I would imagine Ellen White would like a good long four-hour thing. No. She's like, man, this thing, move, let's go, let's go. Have you ever had that thing when you're sitting at a stoplight, or especially a left turn arrow? Oh, some of you know where I'm coming already, right? You, you look at the thing, and you're like five cars back. And you already know. Odds are, you're not moving. I mean, you might move forward, but you're not getting through. Right? And why is that? Because the first car is going to go when it's green, but the second car is going to go after the first car successfully makes it through the intersection. Like, ooh, good, they made it. All right, now I will begin to move. And then and he starts going. Apparently, we're driving 10 Lizzie's. And we're going on, and three cars, and all of a sudden it turns yellow. You're like, no! You know there was plenty of time in that light to get twice as many people through. If everybody would just looked at the green light and trusting <laughs> the guy behind and the guy in front, we would just all kind of, you know, move. <laughs> well, let's not get into how we deal with it, brother. Anyway, <laughs> that's why the window can roll down and I can throw things. No, that's not why that's... Um, now, my point is that we experience this in everyday life and it frustrates the daylight out of us. But we come to church and it's totally normal. So everyone who has a part to play, whether it be a prayer or scripture reading or special music or whatever, I think it's in the statement here, right? Coin this little fun phrase. Um, participation requires anticipation. I can't tell you how many times, if, if somebody's sitting here, and let's say I were up here welcoming announcements, right? Anyway, you can read the rest of it in your bulletin. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. I go to sit down. The next person who's up might be the offering call or something. And they're going to sit there and watch me leave. <laughs> and there he goes. Going to wait and take his seat. <sighs> Guess it's my turn. And I'll get up, make my way over there. Then I'm going to begin to get my stuff prepared. Open the thing. Start. We're waiting at the green light the whole time. Right? I love it. All should be ready to act their part with promptness. Anticipation, participation requires anticipation. Don't wait until the previous participant is back in his or her seat before starting to get... Uh, uh, to get. Now that doesn't make any sense. Starting to get for your turn, ready for your turn in the service. There's a lot of typos in here. Thank you for your patience. Some other things that drag out the, the program and make it swell bigger than it needs to be. And we might hit some sacred cows here, but... Um, I'm only helping Mark with this. All issues need to be told to Mark Howard. If there's any issues, uh, you know, he's the director of the Emanuel Institute. I'm just a hired hand today. All right. Limit children's story length. Okay. Okay. Now, I know some of you are going to say, yeah, it's a great idea, but how are you going to do it? How are you going to get her or him to just stop? <laughs> Yes, also we could have a whole thing about, and I'm not even kidding, about appropriate. Yes. 
All right, I'll tell you my worst one. <laughs> I won't say where, but uh, we were in a small church one day, and a guy came up to give the children's story, and he talked about how there was this big house down the road that they were all afraid to go by. I was like, where are we going with this? And I'm sitting on the platform like, uh-oh, here we go. Yeah, they had a big barn, and the old man was always mean. He would walk by, get out of my yard, this kind of stuff. Okay. But he had this great big barn, this great big hay pile in his barn. We loved to get in there, sneak in there, and jump off. But we knew we would. And if he ever caught it, oh, he'd be so mad. So one day, and they're telling it like it's a, like it's a ghost story or something. <laughs> kids are like, <laughs> And one day, we, we snuck into the barn, and I'm not kidding, and we found him hanging in the barn. And I'm on the platform like, what did you just say? <laughs> and the lesson we learned is we never go in the barn when we're not. I was like, that's the lesson. That's the lesson, right? <sighs> My son was there that day. Now, I didn't panic and freak out. I was like, hey, I didn't cause a scene because I didn't want to like alarm him. Hey, maybe you heard some crazy. Maybe he just passed right on by. I don't know, right? So after church that day, I was like, Hey, Henry, how, how was it going, Bug? Did you enjoy church? <laughs> what was Sabbath school like? We kind of had to talk. It's like, uh, did, do you remember the children's story? And I was like, please say no, please say no. He's like, yeah. I was like, what did you learn? He's like, that must have been really fun to jump in the hay and stuff like that. It's like, good, take away that lesson. Just stick, stick there. Praise the Lord. And the Lord, but I'm telling you, it, don't make the children's story. It's not ghost stories. It's not scary stories. It's not, and by the way, stop giving my kids bad ideas. Have you ever noticed that at children's story, one time when I was little, I did this. I said, stop it. <laughs> they hadn't even considered that yet. <laughs> now they're going to, I told this to my mom. I said, you just told him to, oh, we've been telling him not to, you, stop it. <laughs> anyway, please, for the children's story, make it positive, make it uplifting, make it biblical, make it centered on nature and sweet things like obedience and kindness and joy and happiness and get it over with and go back. <sighs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> But children's story is one of those things that just kind of expands and grows. And of course, we have the children's offering. It's just kind of, now there's nothing wrong with all of those elements, but how we do it and why we do it. When are we going to do it in the service? Let's think about those things so it doesn't just become, and I've literally seen people, they've just, some churches, uh, we'll get into this later, but they don't even say it's time for the children's story. They just have a piece of music playing, and all the children just know to instinctively stand up like Pavlov's dog. They begin to, you know, salivate <laughs> for it, and they go for it. And if you're a visitor there, I don't know why all these kids are getting up and why they're going down front, and they start getting these cups and start handing them to people. Am I supposed to put money? What a weird thing, you know? But we don't ever expect visitors to be there. Everything is done just from, well, because this is what we do, and we know how to do it, so we just don't even have to announce it. You're just totally lost. Yes, ma'am. We had an instance once where they didn't see the particular person that was supposed to do the children's story. They're like, well, it looks like so-and-so's not here, so we're just not going to do the children's story. Okay. And the kids are like, what? <laughs> yeah, they panicked they a little bit. Like, I'll do children's story. Yeah, okay, yeah. If it's a thing they're used to, you got kids coming down front, don't disappoint the children right in front. It's like, no story today. Go back. <laughs> Tell a story. I mean, and kids, honestly, will be thrilled with almost any story you throw out there, right? This morning, while I was brushing my teeth, I... Neat. Oh, that's great. Pastor Mark. Oh, that's true. No, no, no. Not just any story. Let me be clear. This is on record. Not just any story. Again, it has to met those qualifications. Anyway, so yes. How about this one? 
Now, we've been talking about the quote-unquote preliminaries, which you've been to my Sabbath School Live thing. We should eliminate the word preliminary from our vocabulary when it comes to church stuff, because nothing we do in the church should be preliminary. Nothing should be like, oh, it's the little thing before the real thing. No, 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 no. By the way, Sabbath School is not a preliminary to the worship service. It is a distinct feature with unique elements found nowhere else in the life of the church. That's where you get your small group fellowship. That's where you get your Bible study and prayer. That's where you get your, your focus on the mission and you get training and mission reports and equipping and all. You can't miss Sabbath school. It's not a preliminary to church. And by the way, the mission program is not a preliminary to the Bible study part of the Sabbath school, right? There are no preliminaries. If you want a preliminary, do a song service before the thing starts to welcome people come in. But as soon as you say, good morning, saints, we're off to the races. And from 9.30, let's say, till 12.30, everything should have a function and a purpose. There should be a reason we're doing it, not just filling the time. Okay? Now, um, but you might say, and that's putting a lot on the, you know, scripture reading, the children's story, and the prayer time, and all this kind of stuff. But what about the real time, which is the sermon? If pastors would preach, if they would follow the counsel of the spirit of prophecy and preach sermons half as long, Church wouldn't take so take all day, right? I'll seed your concern. I'll give you that one. But I'll raise you <laughs> some other thoughts. Okay. Often the sermon gets blamed when the true fault lies with the tedious opening elements to the worship service. Many times people are ready to go before the sermon even starts. You could preach a five-minute sermon, it'd still be too long because you had an hour worth of stuff just getting there, okay? So let's be clear that we're on that. But yes, Mrs. White does have counts about preaching, preaching shorter sermons. But when I ask you a question, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, should, yeah, I shouldn't have given you the notes. <laughs> if you notice that short and long are relative terms, right? If I hadn't passed this piece of paper out, erroneously, and I said, what's a short sermon length? What would you say? 35 to 40? 20? Can I get a 15? Can I get a 10? <laughs> okay. We're, we're haggling down, right? But Ms. White does have multiple comments where he talks about half the time should be spent. You know, shorter. She uses these terms. But in this statement, she marries that with some actual time element. Here we go. She says, lengthy discourses are a taxation to the speaker and a taxation to the hearers who have sat too lo so long. One half the matter presented would be of more benefit to the hearer than the large mass poured forth by the speaker. Now, if we had that, you say, see, preacher? But then she adds, that which is spoken in the first hour is of far more value if the sermon closes than the words that are spoken in an added half hour. There is a burying up of the matter that has been presented. So what is short in her terminology? An hour. So my counsel is preach short one-hour sermons. Now, if you want to go shorter, okay. But clearly don't be mad if the pastor preaches more than 25 minutes. That's one of the key elements of his job is to present Bible truth and training and equipping and inspiration to the people, right, to lead them to God. So... Why, wouldn't it be better to put prayer meeting back in prayer meeting, put the testimonies and the outreach on the mission in the Sabbath school program, the mission program, and make the worship service simpler, more streamlined, more efficient than that full hour sermon? By the way, 
I've heard sermons that are 15 minutes long that feel like an hour. And I've heard hour-long sermons that feel like five minutes. Right? So, sermon. 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 Telling you, I'm just reading it. So, the issue being, there's a responsibility on the pastor to preach efficient messages. They're full of quality content, right? In a reasonable amount of time. But there's also the onus on the other participants to make sure that they're doing their part promptly, that, that when we go into the worship service, we should be having a mindset of we're here for a purpose, we're here to get training and to be inspired to go out and do, and there should be kind of a, a, a march to the whole thing, right? A purpose to it. Instead of just no expectation to follow up on the other way, we're only here because we go through the round of service, nothing's going to be particularly inspiring, it's all going to go too long, and it doesn't matter if I'm late. We need to change our perspective, and this is what Mrs. White means by disturbing the monotony of a religious round of service, right? We all have part in this to play. Other tips to keeping the service interesting. Focus on active ministries instead of merely the maintenance and utility costs when calling for an offering that goes to the local church budget. <laughs> oh, that's a pet peeve. These are just a list of pet peeves, so here we go. <laughs> but one of those pet peeves is when you get up and it's like, today our offering is for the local church budget. And that's why we have the lights on and that's how we pay for the heat. Which is true, but it implies that the only thing the church budget goes for is facility maintenance. But people need education as to what their offerings go for. Amen. Even in the local church, right? That there is ministry, the primary function of those offerings is to do the active ministries of the church, whether it's Sabbath school or outreach or evangelism, and highlight some of those things. That this is what this local, and by the way, we keep the lights on. Right? So even in everything that we do, we should focus on the active ministries, the encouraging things, not just the behind-the-scenes doldrum stuff. Okay, In the worship service, you should promote the wonderful things happening in Sabbath school and prayer meeting. You talk about Sabbath school like, hey, if you miss Sabbath school, you miss something. You know, I've challenged people. People ask if you're going to go to the Sabbath school seminar. We're going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow. But, um, and I'm, I'm being half facetious when we recommend this, but... I wonder what would happen if one Sabbath, when everyone who was on time to the Sabbath school got $100. What would happen? <laughs> what would happen next Sabbath? It'd be full. Now, you didn't put it in the bulletin. You didn't announce it. You didn't promote it at all. You just did it one time. How would other people find even out about it? Think somebody would mention something? <laughs> Think it would come up in conversation at Potluck? Hey, like, hey, I got this $100 bill. Where'd you get that? Oh, it's like, oh, that was Sabbath school. It's like, oh, you weren't at Sabbath oh, That's too bad. <laughs> you missed something. By the way, we should make our Sabbath school programs interesting enough and moving enough and powerful enough that if you miss Sabbath school, you miss something. Amen. Put some of those good testimonies in the Sabbath school time. Put a baptism in the Sabbath school time. You're like, what happened? It's oh, you missed it. We need to stop chasing people. That's how we get things funneled into the worship service. Put the good stuff where it belongs and expect people to be there. And if they're not there, they missed out. But we're moving on. We're doing this thing, right? The same thing. Every time you're like, well, we'll wait five more minutes to get started because people are late. You know what's going to happen next time? You're going five, to start five minutes later. Just start and let people learn. I had a, a, a teacher at Southern, Dr. Haluska. Saint of a man. Loved the teacher. 
I especially appreciate him after I was out of his class. <laughs> no, but he had this habit of, of dealing with non-attending students. And what he would do is he, there was no, he didn't take attendance and do any overt punishments or anything. What he would do is at the opening bell, if everyone who was in the room got a five-point quiz for the day. And if you weren't there, you didn't get a copy of the quiz. You didn't get to take the, you, didn't, you missed out on those points. So it's a self-inflicted discipline, right? And I remember distinctly, because he was, he was kind of cruel. He would stand at the door, and as you came in, if you were before the bell, you got one. If you're at the bell, you got one. But after the bell, even if he had a stack of empty quizzes in his hand, he would not hand you one. He would turn and walk away with your potential points in his hand, and you would sit there and watch everyone else take that quiz, and you were lamenting. First of all, you were angry at him. How dare he, right? This is so unjust. But you know what happened next time? I was there. You better believe it. Because I knew that no amount of hassling with him and arguing was going to change his mind. And he was going to say something to me that would be, you know, right. <laughs> like, you know, you should have been here. I know I should, but you should be nicer. So well, you can make nice happen for yourself. Just show up on time, you know. <laughs> and we'd go back and forth. So he would eventually. So I remember many occasions I would be, you know, basically half-dressed, unprepared. My hair's all over the place. But I would run down the promenade to get to this class because I needed that to keep my grade going. And it was such an easy you know, attendance model for him, just show up and hand him out. Brilliant, you know? But we need to do something like that. Make the worship service count. Start the thing on time. Make everything have a purpose and interesting. And if people miss stuff, man, that's, that's their loss. But we're not chasing them. Reverse roles. Come back. Anyway, just thought, okay, let's get some more things. Um, oh, I like this one. Provide lyrics and leadership for singing, like prayer songs, the doxology, all those kind of things. Um, we go to churches, and, and they'll have different routines and structures, and they don't tell you when you're going to sit or stand or kneel or what songs we're going to sing. And so the whole thing is scripted and choreographed so that everyone who's there knows what's going on. This is when we stand. This is the word. We, they don't put it up the thing. They don't tell you. And it, being a visitor at some of these churches, even as a Seventh-day Adventist, I have these difficult times. I don't know what's going on, Right? And I had to look around. Are we, are we kneeling? Are we going to get up? Are we going to listen to a thing? Are we singing? Are we singing from here? Are we singing from up? Do, when the people come in, do we kneel down? And it's just, it's a routine that people get, again, like Pavlov's dog. You just get used to it and do it with no expectation that anybody else who doesn't know the routine will even be there. Which we should think like a visitor. You know, if the whole point of the church is to bring people to this message, to share it with new people, we should think, how would they receive what we're giving? What would be their experience if they came to my local church this Sabbath? And, I mean, that goes for everything. I mean, we're talking about the parking lot. We're talking about the greeter. Is the foyer. I mean, I went to one church. It happened to be one that I pastored. And the first thing that dawned on me when I walked in the foyer is that these people love plastic plants. I mean, we have green. And each little, and you could tell that there wasn't like one clear theme or decoration. It was like, this person died, so they got a, their family put a painting up, and that's what's been there for 20 years. The next person put a quilt up, and then there's this. It's just this haphazard, you know. But what does that tell visitors? It's confusing. It's unclear. And if you're going to have plastic plants, dust them. <laughs> right? Make sure your light bulbs 
are not half blue light and half warm light. And make sure they're all light, so they're not just half, you know. I mean, we're talking about the littlest things. I've gotten my wife's permission to use this illustration. But she to pluck her eyebrows, which I think is weird. <laughs> I don't pluck my eyebrows. I, I don't even shave my eyebrows. I don't, I don't hardly do anything. And, I'm like, and, and, and she'll be like, we'll be going out somewhere, going to a family thing or something, and she'll be like, hang on, I've got to do this. I'm like, what? We're going to be, why? It's just it's such a little thing. Nobody's looking at your eye. Nobody cares. <laughs> and then she'll be like, you care. I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, you do. You don't know that you care. You don't recognize you care. But I know that you care. And uh, these are the little things that they, they make a cumulative effect, right? And when it comes to our local churches and the services, the, the facility, all the things, we should be looking at it from the point of what's the most winsome foot we can put forward? What's the clearest thing we can do? What's the most helpful way we can move through this process? So that everybody knows what they're doing. That everything that we do has a purpose and it's inspiring, it's encouraging, it's, it's... And that we don't just fill up the... Like, what if we ended early? Would that be okay? Sure. I mean... Mrs. White was right on the nose when she said that we need to be ready to act our part with promptness and when the service is over, be done. It's that simple. And I think people would respond to that kind of simplicity and sincerity and succinctness and they'd want to come back. You know, isn't that kind of a, a trick of the trade is to leave them wanting more? Again, give clear instruction about children's story, offering, prayer, dismissal, anything that happens up front, explain it. This is what we're going to do. And just then do it. <laughs> Hold the microphone to your mouth and speak with confidence and enthusiasm. People get up front and they're like afraid, of, like the disease is on the microphone or something. They're going to catch something. Or they'll forget they have it and they'll have it all down here. And I've been guilty of that before too, but usually I speak loud enough that it compensates. But then you'll have, you know, mumbling Mary up there or something and just kind of bumble through. And the reason you're there is to do a thing, so just do your one job with confidence and then move on. And the people will appreciate that. They'll respond to it, right? And of course, smile. You know, Ms. Ms. White talks about how we shouldn't sing like it's a funeral dirge and we shouldn't be mournful. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? The we should say happy Sabbath and mean it and model it and actually have a happy Sabbath. And when people come to church, and I even I only get that out of my vocabulary, when I say come to church, I, I literally want people to stop inviting people to church, start inviting people to Sabbath school and let them stay for church. But when they come to be with the, in the house of God with the people of God, they should be informed, they should be inspired, they should be encouraged, and yes, they can be convicted of sin. Right? But look at Acts chapter 2. When the Apostle Peter preached that fiery sermon, literally a fiery sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said, you killed your own Messiah like two months ago, 50 days earlier. You killed God's son. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
And he wasn't just to bring the conviction of sin. It's like, you're a sinner, friend. No, no, no. It was to lift them up and say, but there's still hope. Jesus is standing. They repent. Come on. And that day, 3,000 were added. And it didn't say to him, Jesus. It said to them, the church. Ms. White says, Christ brings people and puts them in the arms of the church. This is what we're supposed to do. Practice this ministry of reconciliation. And our church services and Sabbath schools can be all a part of that. Let me just close with a few notes on music. Ching, get it? A few notes on music. Anyway. Because I know this is one of the things. Boy, if we want to make it interesting, we've got to fill it up with music. That's what we need to do. A couple of thoughts on that. First of all, I mentioned Acts chapter 2. I imagine the day of Pentecost sermon was pretty interesting. How much music was recorded in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 2, especially. None. Now, does that mean that they had no music? And music? No. They probably sang some hymns. But was it clearly the thing that moved the people? No. Nope. It was the preaching of the word, right? It was that clear message, right? How much music should be our, should our services include? While this question is sure to raise strong opinions, which is why I brought it in the very end, so we can't have a debate, <laughs> likely in different directions. Some people, we need more music. Some people, we need less music. Some people, we need better music. We need different music. We have young music versus old music. Hymns versus praise songs. We're not going to have that debate here. Okay? It is worth considering as we seek to improve our worship services. At least it's something we need to talk about. Listen to this statement from Evangelism 511. She went to a, a religious service and she wrote this counsel. In some instances, much time was devoted to singing. You say, oh, good. Amen. She said there was a long hymn before prayer, a long hymn after prayer, and much singing interspersed all through the meeting. Which anytime you ever talk about improving your worship service, this is always the suggestion. We need more song service. We need one at the beginning. We need one at the end. And maybe a whole praise time in the middle. She said, thus golden moments were used unwisely. And not one half the good was done that might have been realized had these precious seasons been properly managed. Now, that's not to say we should have no music. But we shouldn't just think that, oh, music is going to fix it. Let's just cram it all full of music. and extra. No. Sincerity and whatever we do must be our highest consideration. Listen to this one. Gorgeous apparel, fine singing, and instrumental music in the church do not call forth the songs of the angel choir. In the sight of God, these things are like the branches of the unfruitful fig tree, which bore nothing but pretentious leaves. Christ looks for what? Fruit, for principles of goodness and sympathy and love. These are the principles of heaven. And when they are revealed in the lives of human beings, we may know that Christ is formed within the hope of glory. A congregation may be the poorest in the land without music or outward show, but if it possesses these principles, the members can sing for the joy of Christ is in their souls, and this they can offer as a sweet oblation to God. The point is, it's a temptation to make it more music-centered or more entertaining or more production value or more of this and that. That's not what the council calls for. Elaborate productions, popular praise songs, and platform decor don't automatically liven the service or interest young or old. Our greatest need is a spiritual revival, not merely a revamped program. I don't want you leaving here saying, if we tweak this just right, no, no, no. It needs to come from within, from a spiritual location, and out of that, apply these principles in a way that when they come to church, they've seen Jesus. So again, let's close with interesting doesn't mean entertaining. I can't underscore this enough. Don't try to be entertaining. You'll never outcompete the world. They're better at it. Okay? 
Mrs. White talked about this in Great Controversy, page 463. Popular revivals are too often carried by appeals to the imagination, by exciting the emotions, by gratifying the love for what is new and startling. Converts thus gained have little desire to listen to Bible truth, little interest in the testimony of prophets and apostles. Unless a religious service has something of a sensational character, it has no attractions for them. A message which appeals to unimpassioned reason awakens no response. The plain warnings of God's word related directly to their eternal interests, are unheeded. Now, I do believe that we can grow our church in ways that would actually be detrimental to our church. We can do the popular revival route. We can make it more entertaining. We can do more donuts and trinkets and you know music and production and lights and sound and smoke machines and laser tag and all that kind of stuff. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't seek to be entertaining. But the opposite of entertaining is not boring. boring. Mrs. White says we should be intensely interesting. The goal is neither sensationalism nor formal ceremony, but simplicity and sincerity. She writes, when professing Christians reach the high standard which it is their privilege to reach, the simplicity of Christ will be maintained in all their worship. Forms and ceremonies and musical accomplishments are not the strength of the church. The strength of the church is the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and the word of our testimony. And that will aliven the church. We've ended early. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. But with that remaining time, I, I hesitate to open it to comment because I don't want to hear all the horror stories of things, but are there any things that we could add to this? Because this is a work in progress. Is there something else that, in fact, I know, let's just do it. Anything striking that you want to comment real quick? Yes, sir. What, what do you think of the idea of having boxes? Instead of actually going around picking up the offering, just have a set place for it. I can see why you'd want to do that, but I don't know that'd be a recommended thing. I haven't really thought that much about it, but I've considered it in the past a little bit. I think there's something, there's something special about seeing it right in front of you that you miss by having it, oh yeah, if it comes to you, go in the back and go, you know, it needs to be part of, a central part of the worship service. One thing that bugs me, I will tell you, is when people don't pass the plate. This, I've only seen this in Michigan, but I've seen it a bunch of places. I don't understand why, but they'll have the plate and they'll walk past an aisle full of people and they just stand there, and like if someone has an offering, they like wave them down. Okay, I'll come to you. Regardless, they, you should pass it, and there should be a, a special sense of Sabbath guilt. You know, like, like, oh, I should be doing something with it. You know, I think it needs to be put before them more abruptly and more clearly than just there's a box in the hall if you remember to, you know, that kind of thing. I would. How did it go? You got more offerings at first? Okay. Uh, there, there could be an argument made either way, but I think putting it straightforward, right in front and center, is probably a better idea. Yes, sir. Sure. Okay. No problem. Well, but different prayers have different functions. So, prayer for the blessing versus a pastoral prayer. We're praying for the sick versus praying for the offering versus. The, they're going to be different. But I'll close this program as I probably would close another program. How about that? Okay. Yes, sir. Two minutes. Of the Michigan conference? Yes, sir. Yes. It was also very long. <laughs> Good. 
I would really hope, in, in all sincerity, I would hope that length isn't the bottom line of whether something was good or bad, that it would be content. That's what I'm saying. It's content and, and it's beneficial. That's what we really should be looking for, not on a timer. Yes, sir. Would you like to briefly comment on how we discuss we implement this thing? Yeah. Churches are getting emotionally attached to having scripture reading read from the back of the church. Or something or some Really? I didn't know that. Eccentric <laughs> feature. Okay. I've just had bigger fish to try, and so that's part for of sure. The church gets these things get odd neglected. So I, yeah. I realize they're important, but how would you go about it in a, in a relatively healthy church? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on who you are. Like, if I were the pastor of the church, I mean, I would just go right to town. I'd just talk to the elders and say, "Hey, look, look, look at this. Let's take a few weeks and take a sample." I mean, you could move the ball pretty quickly. If you're an elder, you should be able to basically do the same thing. Even deacons, by the way, elders and deacons are both ordained. They have the spiritual responsibility of care for the church, and the church services should be a part of that, especially maintenance stuff, the deacons, the worship service, the elders. I mean, so those groups should be their number one. Then you have the board you can talk to, or just influential people. But I will tell you, the thing that, you, that I wish people would do in the church more is not just wait until a person in a position does something, because you know that regardless of whether there's a, a recognized, certified, titled leader, that there's someone else that everybody follows, right? I would go to win the true leader. And it may not be an elder, may not be a deacon, but just talk to those people of influence and say like, you know what, I've noticed this. Are you seeing a thing like, and, just, and then maybe talk to the pastor, talk to the elders, say like, I'm recognizing this. What can we do about it? Or, you know, or just talk to me. Am I wrong? But just kind of start moving the ship through conversation that way first. Uh, but if you have a position of responsibility, like an elder or deacon or something, I would, if I was a head deacon, I'd call a deacon's meeting. Let's review our worship, sir. Let's review our, when people drive in, what do they see? What do, you know, and just start looking at it through the visitor's eyes. That's your job. That's why we have deacon's meetings. That's why we have elders' meetings. Well, we're supposed to have those meetings, but people don't have them because we don't expect to do anything. But if you actually make those responsibilities part of your function, again, you, the central part of what you do, that should help. Anyway, uh, we're at 1201. We've gone too long. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this day and thank you for the opportunity we had to cover this material in our session this morning. Please, Lord, help it not just to be theory and philosophy, help it to be practical and relevant and applicable in each of our local church settings. Bless every person here and every responsibility he or she may have in their local church so that everything that we do would be modeled after the counsel from heaven. Help everyone to get a little taste of heaven when they come to our churches. And through our humble efforts and your great grace, may people see Jesus and be drawn to him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.